Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Gordon Dean, and this is the Source Seed Pod podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Source Seed Pod podcast, and I'm your host, Gordon Dean. Um, wanted to have a quick discussion, well, I guess it's not really a discussion, more like a monologue, I guess. Um, there's a very interesting concept that was recently uh, proposed to me, and it is that there doesn't seem to be any absolute understanding of right and wrong. And in relation to that, it was posited that what might be right for some people might not be right for others. And of course, conversely, what is wrong for some is wrong for others. Now, before I get too far into this, I want to point out that Yes, there are some exceptions to this, and it's usually very situational in that it usually has to do with some sort of education or level of understanding or level of maturity. For example, in theory, there is no reason why an adult can't or shouldn't cross a busy street. That adult knows that if they step out in front of a moving vehicle, they're going to get hurt, possibly killed. They know that the crosswalk is the appropriate place to do it, and usually there's some sort of device that is going to hold up traffic and allow them to cross safely. A two-year-old does not have that capability and so therefore should never be allowed to make that journey by themselves. Okay, Very situational, uh, very uh, based upon education level of maturity, that kind of thing. What I find interesting, and, and the, the conversation that I had with this person went, kind of two different directions, really. And, and I think that the, the main part that I wanted to focus on is that first and foremost, it seems as if, I don't even know how to put this, it seems like the world at large seems to think that religious people, not just Christians, but religious people in general, tend to have a different understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And I wouldn't argue that. Um, at least not in the, the context of, for example, something like sex out of wedlock. The, the world says that's just fine. You, you do what you want. You, you know, you're an adult. You can just sleep with whomever you want. 
and and that's okay. You can have multiple partners. You can have multiple partners at the same time in the same bed. But here's where it gets a little bit, I guess you'd say, fuzzy, for lack of a better word. If someone were to find out that a Christian were doing that, there would be all kinds of shock, dismay, and outrage. Eh, maybe not outrage, unless, of course, you're the spouse that's being left out of the equation. That a Christian would engage in such behaviors. Now, I don't want you to think for a minute that I'm trying to condone that behavior. What I'm trying to get at is that there is a different set of rules, if you will, to a certain degree. The question becomes whether or not this is, in fact, just a Christian value, or if it really is something that is ingrained in our society, but they refuse to acknowledge where it originally came from. So the, the purpose behind this particular podcast is actually twofold. One, to point out that, I should say to, to point to the correlation between Christian values and what society views as right or wrong. Because, you know, it's, frankly, it's my opinion that a great deal of what society views as right and wrong actually has its origins in God. The other purpose that I wanted to point out here is, is there's, there's a lot of things that we as Christians do, and, and, and this part of it is going to be kind of a companion piece to the hypocrisy post, that we Christians tend to do things almost acting like nobody's watching, so it's okay. Now, before I get any further, just understand, folks, I understand we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all sin. In that respect, there is no difference between a Christian and an unbeliever. What separates the Christian from the unbeliever is that they don't want to sin. First of all, they can recognize that it is sin and not a whoopsie. Secondarily, when a Christian is in sin, they are hopefully trying to get back on that horse and begging God, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, and endeavoring to stop the behavior. For the unbeliever, it's not a sin because there is no God. All of that having been said, there's a lot of things that we Christians do that... Well, frankly, we just simply shouldn't be. Nobody should be, but we as Christians specifically shouldn't be because 
of the relationship that we have with God. So I kind of wanted to give a couple of examples. So there are some things that whether or not the world recognizes it as a sin, there is something in the back of their head that at least indicates that it is not kosher or not the way things should be. And the first example that I came up with is kind of one I, I had alluded to earlier is sex outside of marriage, but more specifically sex before marriage. When somebody refuses to engage in premarital sex, they're often referred to as, you know, a good little Christian boy, a good little Christian girl, okay? Because let's be honest, most of the time that's in this society the only thing keeping people from engaging in premarital sex given the opportunity. But let's analyze that for a second. A good little Christian girl will refrain from sex before being married. And so what we acknowledge by using a phrase of that ilk is that one, sex before marriage is not good. But if the world is saying that it doesn't matter and only God is actually saying that it does, then the world is already admitting that violating what God has told us, in this case we shouldn't do, is bad. Now, I understand that it requires a, a bit of a, a leap of logic to go from point A to point B, but my point is that we have gotten to a place in this society where that leap just isn't ever made anymore. We've become so dissociated from that. And yet, the acknowledgement is still there. Um... We, oh man, this is one that I've been guilty of myself. When, when somebody on death row for murder claims to have found God and been saved, the typical reaction from people at large is one of, of disbelief, whether they scoff or they, yeah, right, whatever, or I'll take it with a grain of sand we have this thing in our head that what they have done is so heinous that they can't be forgiven by God, and Christians know better. But again, the, uh, the inherent implication is that God and evil can't go hand in hand, and while that's true, and our disbelief comes from a skewed perspective, we are still acknowledging that God is good. Now, again, I understand that this is kind of a leap 
and well, I shouldn't say elite per se. It's it's somewhat dissociated, but it's still pieces of our past that are still at least somewhat ingrained in our current culture. And yet people want to say that there is no God or God doesn't play into this or, or oh, my personal favorite is, this has nothing to do with my Christianity. Excuse me? Christ makes all things new. Christ has created a new person in you. So if you have a new life and a new outlook and a new behavior toward other people because of your faith in Jesus, no, it really does have something to do with your Christianity. Everything in your life has something to do with your Christianity. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting off on a, on a rant again. The point is that there are still pieces of the right and wrong that God himself gave us that are still involved in the world, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Now, here's some other stuff that, right or wrong, are viewed differently because it's just not something that's appropriate. So, for example, you ever known somebody who wouldn't use foul language in front of their mima? But I tell you what, you get that guy out on the job site and every third word out of his mouth starts with the letter F. Wouldn't curse like that in front of the pastor either. And worse, God forbid, that same guy is in church every Sunday claiming to be a Christian. We look at that, and not just as Christians, and we pass judgment on this, but the point of the matter is that use of the foul language is a very unchristian thing. And we acknowledge that it's not okay because there are some people that you just, even adults, that you wouldn't do that in front of. Well, if you wouldn't do it in front of the pastor because you would be ashamed to do so, you would be afraid of using that kind of language, you wouldn't do it in front of your meemaw, that means it's wrong. And yet, the Bible is the only place that you're going to find any indication that using coarse language is not okay. One of the other ones that kind of trips me out a little bit, and, and I understand where it comes from, is when somebody sees a Christian consuming alcohol. And, and for the purposes of this discussion, I just mean, uh, you know, you're at a family barbecue and you've got a rack of ribs on your plate. I'm drooling just thinking about this. And there's some ice cold beer, and I'm here to tell you, they go hand in hand. It's a beautiful thing. But because you're a Christian, you're theoretically not supposed to drink. Or, or to, to tie it into the other idea here, there are people who will 
deliberately not serve alcohol at, at functions because there are going to be Christians there. You know, the pastor's going to be here, so we can't serve alcohol. Now, I understand where that idea comes from. I've Actually, I may or may not have touched on that one yet, but really what it boils down to is, but the idea that there's some sort of prohibition about consuming alcohol in the Bible, it's, it's not there. I mean, it, it specifically says don't get drunk, but, you know, uh, I, I know I use this example. Jesus actually served wine to his uh, apostles at the Last Supper and specifically said, drink this. So this perceived uh, sanction against all alcohol in the Bible is not there. However, there are a lot of Christian, Christian sects as well as just Christians in general that simply feel that the consumption of alcohol is not appropriate. And, and, and I agree in that there are more than enough people that cannot control their alcohol or, or even have a skewed understanding of what it means to not get drunk. And so it's best for those types of folks to simply avoid alcohol entirely. But the point that I'm getting at is there are people who will deliberately not serve alcohol at a barbecue because the pastor's going to be there or because Meemaw's going to be there. And so when, you know, they see a Christian consuming alcohol, of course, there's this, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Well, why? Why wouldn't? I mean, it doesn't, I don't, why? I don't get it. But the, the concept or the idea that the consumption of alcohol, which, of course, then by extension also could uh, apply specifically to the idea of being able to consume more than one should is deliberately tried to be kept, you know, hidden away or, or not, not flouted, flaunted, rather, in front of the pastor or in front of Meemaw. So there is, again, an inherent understanding that getting drunk is wrong. And yet, you know, there's, there's a whole culture out there that literally revolves around, oh man, it's the weekend, I'm going to go get messed up. Now, obviously, I would, agree, I, I would, I would concede that nobody would agree that it's okay to get drunk and then go drive your car in, in, into a bus full of kids, or to get drunk and beat your wife, or you know any of these other secondary behaviors. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to the actual act of getting drunk. Most of the world says, yeah, that's fine. You can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt somebody else. But then when put in specific situations where 
there's no prohibition against it per se, but we want to hide it from certain people because we don't want them to think less of us. We know that this is wrong. And again, the only place that you're going to find any sort of inferred prohibition against the consumption of alcohol is going to be in the Bible and other religious texts. Okay. Now, some of the other things that I want to cite kind of revolve very specifically around the idea that there is a reason why the world looks at us sometimes and says to themselves, if that's what it means to be a Christian, you can keep it. Now, I understand that the overarching issue here is the, the debate about who's going to be Lord of your life. Whether it's going to be yourself or your creator is, is, is genuinely up for you to decide. God gave us free will for that reason. But the reality is that's the main reason why most people want to stay away from Christianity in particular, but religion in general, is that if I actually have to admit that there is a moral law outside of myself, then there are things like right and wrong and things that I shouldn't be doing, and more importantly, frankly, things that I should be doing. And because of that, the world looks at us with a much deeper scrutiny because either A, they're trying to figure out what we're about, or B, and probably more likely, they are waiting for us to screw up. And we're going to. But there are some things that we don't even really think about. And the first, the number one thing that covers all of this is, well, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says I can't drink, so I'm going to drink until I fall down and piddle in my pants. We somehow tend to view sins that are condoned by the world as being okay and we justify it by saying, hey, I'm human, I'm not perfect. Or again, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. And the world really does hold us to a higher standard and they should because we should be holding ourselves to a higher standard. Even though it's the original standard, it is still much higher than the world at large. And that's why they're looking to us as some sort of moral beacon, which, look, I'm not going to lie, folks. Clichés become clichés for a reason. There's a grain of truth in them. And yes, we are sinners. Yes, we screw up. Yes, we are forgiven. But we shouldn't be using it as a license to sin. But that's what the world sees when we just throw out those little cliches about, well, you know, I'm not perfect. 
one of the things that we do as Christians that we need to stop right now is treating others badly or looking down our noses at them or, or having some sort of uh, uh, superiority complex related to unbelievers because we're God's chosen people and we've got it figured out. We've got the Bible on our side. Jesus is our Lord and Savior and you are a nasty heathen. Except that nasty heathen is exactly who Jesus came here to save. That nasty heathen is exactly the type of person that Jesus would sit down and have dinner with. Now, wait a minute. There's a big difference. I didn't say participate in whatever debauchery this person is involved in. But he would love them enough to welcome them with open arms. Not to tell them where they're wrong because, you know, I'm so morally superior. Which really, by and large, for the most part, I have found with most Christians, myself included. What that really means is that I'm better at hiding the stuff I shouldn't be doing than other people are. Just a little side note. We need to stop treating unbelievers as if they've got some sort of contagious plague. Instead, we need to, one, be an example to them. Not just, this is how you should live, but more importantly, here is the joy and the peace that I get from following God. And if that's something you want, talk to me. I will tell you all about it. What do you say we have dinner tonight? Why don't you come on over to my place? We can sit and talk over dinner. Another big one we have is revenge. And I've seen so many people that call themselves Christians that want to use an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as some sort of excuse to justify revenge. Now, don't misunderstand, people. There is a a certain matter of justice that is completely and totally Christian, but we as individuals are not given that authority. In fact, the Bible specifically states that we are not to take revenge. Root word, vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says God. kind of goes back to you just focus on loving them and look I'll be the first to admit again this is a difficult uh, it's a difficult process to work through and sometimes the best way you can love on that person that you want to take revenge upon is to stay away from them so that you are not overcome by sin And the other one that just absolutely floors me is the the Christian that goes on vacation or, or takes a trip to Vegas. Now, again, I'm not saying that going to Las Vegas is a bad thing. Fantastic entertainment. 
arguably the non-Broadway entertainment capital of this country. But the old saying that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas does not apply to Christians. It just doesn't. It actually doesn't apply across the board. But when we as Christians step outside of our faith and we use our location as a, a license to sin, we're doing ourselves no favors. We're damaging that relationship that we have with God. And we're damaging the progress that we've made in that relationship with God. And what we're telling the world is God is only God at home. God is only God at church. When I step out, it's okay for me to get hammered. Well, while I'm in Vegas, it's okay for me to blow $10,000 at the slot machines because, hey, they're everywhere. When we go to Vegas, it's okay for me to go, go ahead and catch a strip club uh, uh, show there because nobody's going to see me, nobody's going to know, but God does. And the behavior is not okay. And so we cannot use our location as a license to sin. Things are either right or they are wrong. And it doesn't matter where you are. Time and location mean nothing. So we as Christians walk a tightrope, or we should be. We're constantly trying to improve our walk. And at the same time, we're trying to show others what it means to walk this path. And not just from the standpoint of you can't have sex out of wedlock, you can't drink, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. What we should be living, what we should be demonstrating is, yes, you know what? I am a human male, I'm heterosexual, and I enjoy... Uh, looking at naked women as much as the next man does. But you see, I'm not the next man. I have been set apart and because I have been set apart, I understand that the lust that going to one of these shows inspires in my mind causes me to sin in my heart. And because of that, I know that this is what's going to happen. So I'm going to stay away from that. Not just because God, there's nothing in the Bible about don't go to strip clubs. I stay away from prostitutes, that kind of thing, of course. But nothing specific about strip clubs. But because I know that my heart is going to be inspired to sin by going to this, it's not okay here, just like it's not okay at home. And so because of this, I refrain from doing things that I know I shouldn't do. And when I do that, God rewards me. And I don't mean 100 bucks shows up in my checking account that I had no idea where it came from. I don't mean that when I get home, uh, you know, the the dishes are going to be done or, you know, any of that nature, I mean that there is going to be a peace that comes over me when God touches me and says, good job, son. 
that was tough and you handled it like a champ. There's a peace and a joy that comes from obeying his will. The world wants to look at it and say, well, but you're depriving yourself. Don't you want to? God wants you to be happy. So go do what makes you happy. Well, here's the thing. First of all, happiness is more than something that happens right now. Being a happy person, living in a state of joy or happiness, is much more long-ranging than spending a couple of hours at the bar or the strip club or whatever your vice happens to be. Once you leave that place, whatever stimulation that you were receiving from that ceases or at the very least diminishes. It's, it's a known quantity. You step out that door, the stimulation ends, and whatever quote-unquote benefit that you were getting from it ends. Whereas, when you do things that please God, the benefit, the joy, the peace that comes with it lasts far longer than walking through the next door. And it does ultimately end up echoing into eternity because at some point we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, good job. Now you tell me what is, is more, which is a more worthwhile investment? Spending a hundred bucks at a strip club that you're not even going to be able to enjoy five minutes after you've walked out the door or storing up your treasures in heaven where you will spend the rest of eternity praising and worshiping God surrounded by nothing but happiness and joy that will never fade, it will never go away. keep getting off on this tirade. The fact is, folks, that we as Christians are held to a higher standard by the world because we are held to a higher standard by our God. And again, in so doing, the world acknowledges that what God would have us to do is, in fact, the right thing. And we may be human and we may make mistakes, but we can't use that as an excuse or a license to sin. Because the world is watching us and whether they acknowledge it or not, they know in the back of their minds, in the deepest recesses of their hearts, that there is a God, there is a right, there is a wrong. And when they look to us and they see us doing the right thing, it brings them a slight measure of comfort because that's a Christian doing Christian things. I may not buy into that, but there's a certain amount of comfort that goes with that. If they look at a supposed Christian and they see them using their Christianity as a license to sin, it immediately creates a turmoil in them. 
And it causes them to look then at we as Christians, but additionally the God that we represent in a negative light. I want you to think about that today. This has been the Seed Source, excuse me, the Source Seed Pod podcast, and I'm your host, Gordon Dean.